0: And this is Money Talks with Mo Chatra. So let's welcome the man himself to his own show. Good evening, Mo. Good evening, Trev. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm looking forward to this one because it's a topic I have a lot of interest in. And just to tee it up for our listeners, what we're going to be talking about tonight is the thorny subject of investment and ownership. And uh rarely are two topics liable to come together and cause quite so much consternation uh, as these two do. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity to tee it up yourself before we get stuck straight into it, because obviously this is coming off the back as so many of the shows are of a thread which got quite a lot of engagement as they tend to do uh And you know, what I love about uh your particular area of expertise. Is that it brings all these utter incompetent non-experts out, offering pretty uh, what they believe are profound opinions, uh, which can be easily batted away. So I want to offer you a chance to set it up uh, the the topic in general. If there's anything that uh, you know, by way by way of summary, in case there's anything I've left out, there we'll get straight into uh, the general structure of your thread with uh, a series of questions that I'll post to you then sounds good excellent right well then we'll do it we'll just get on and do it so this thread that we've spoken about um, it was basically about the, the the situation that Liverpool finds themselves in uh, I think you're it, it's a recent enough thread and it got like I say always does get a lot of interaction um, a lot of traction in terms of eyes on it and interactions with it Um Let's look at this thorny subject of what people perceive as, for right or wrong, underinvestment. Now, your argument for why that is occurring and if that is occurring is that it's basically down to two root causes, that there are two basic causes for Liverpool's poor start to this season. Why are you feeling that there are only two Um what is it that you're getting to with that assertion?
2: Okay, yeah. So uh, the, the thread that I put out, Trev, um, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, was um, just reflecting on the poor start that we've obviously had to the season 2022-23. Uh, clearly, far too few victories. We're accustomed to winning the vast majority of our games. We've been almost spoiled in recent years. Um, we've come to expect wins, uh, draws feel like losses, and losses feel like something worse than that. Um, And, you know, I looked at all the various factors um, and thought about, well, are some of them valid? And, you know, obviously many, many fans all across social media have come out with all sorts of reasons as to why, um, some of which are completely (laughs) um, from another planet. But uh, the more serious, incredible ones, um, I felt did come down to two um, root causes. And I felt that those two root causes were, as you've noted, underinvestment and uh, loyalty. So um, with with underinvestment then, I, I did a bit of analysis a few weeks ago towards the tail end of the summer transfer window. So this was in late August, um, looking at the club's spend on transfer fees post 2018 now the reason I specifically looked at spend post 2018 is that I um felt and I think a lot of fans felt that you know we had a an absolute purple patch of recruitment between 2016 and 2018 if you remember back to the summer of 2016 um you know we'd finished the season up to that point um you know, runners up in the Europa and finished, I think it was eighth in the league and, you know, we're feeling frustrated in one sense, but then optimistic on the hand, in the other sense in that Jürgen Klopp was going into his first full season as Liverpool manager. And we welcomed Sadio Mane in um, and we're all delighted to see him come in and uh, very excited about what he uh, could develop into um, under, under the uh, um, expert coaching of, of, of Klopp and Co., um, and we saw after that, um, you know, some absolutely fantastic recruitment, you know, we saw Ginny and others come in, um, culminating in 2018 with our biggest summer transfer window today with, you know, who, who was it? Allison, um, Naby Cater then joined us, uh, Fabinho, um, came through and uh big shack as well. And, um, You know, that supplemented the arrival of uh, Virgil van Dijk a few months prior in January of 2018. So we had a really, really good two years. And after that, um, it all (laughs) went very quiet. Now, clearly, by that point, we had a very strong squad. There was clearly not the need to be bringing in five or six players every summer. Um, And it would have been ridiculous and absurd to, A, expect that, um, but B, um, for, for that to be um, in any way realistic, it, it simply wasn't. You know, we, we had a very good uh, core of, say, 18 or so, not, not maybe 19 players, and could they have been supplemented by stronger squad positions uh, yes they could have um and it was summer 2019 you know we were frustrated at missing out on the premier league by a point but delighted to have won um number 6 in europe and uh, john w henry at the start of that summer transfer window um knew that you know the club would be backing and they would fsg would be backing uh, Jürgen um in terms of recruitment and um, on that basis, based off of his comments, we all thought, great, you know, we're going to see even more um, stronger rivals to turn this into into an even stronger squad. And then our marquee signing turned out to be Step Vandenberg, um, a player nobody had heard of. And he was signed for, uh, I don't know, two, three million pounds. Uh, we also saw a couple of frees come in, Andy Lonergan and Adrian. As well as uh, young Harvey Elliott, who I think was only 16 at the time, and um, his transfer fee wasn't agreed um, uh, until uh, you know about a year, 18 months later. So you know, very disappointing. And we thought, right, okay, we clearly have missed out there. Um, but surely next summer uh, we will we'll do some more business. So the following summer came along, and the world had changed. with the onset of uh, covid-19 and um you know the the financial landscape um, changed with it where football and everything else uh, needless to say was concerned we still did do some business though you know we brought in Thiago, we brought in uh, Jogo jota and we brought in costa Simicas. um but again uh, there was frustration we we thought okay we have lost um we have lost uh, Dejan Lovren, and we are now going into this new season as uh, Premier League champions with only three senior centre backs. Surely a big risk, and that's an understatement because you know we we just had the uh, you know a complete nightmare season with injuries, and it, the season ended up being a bit of a write off. But we salvaged it um, right at the end by scraping top four summer twenty one summer twenty two once again meager uh, spend relative to our rivals, so it was four years four or four summers i should say on the trot where we didn't really um invest uh, to the levels of our rivals and you know that that was the analysis that I carried out and uh, it showed that purely in terms of transfer to feed net spend as a as a proportion of overall turnover the percentage was only 2%. So only 2% of our overall turnover over that period went towards um, net spend on transfer fees. And yet some of our rivals, uh, granted one or two of them um, ha- had money coming in from sources other than club generated revenues. Uh, they they were able to spend significantly more. And I was then concerned that, uh, you know, Closing out that summer 22 window a few weeks ago, uh, we to have gone four successive summers where I felt we'd not really invested enough. Uh, the, the concern was that the squad had aged out. You know that we'd sure kept a stable squad, little turnover in terms of the core squad, um, but at some point that that would create a problem, and I didn't anticipate it would create a problem to the extent it has in the opening weeks of this season
0: yeah I, and and you know that last point uh quite eloquently puts together the two ideas yeah you know, I downplayed the notion of uh loyalty to players as one of your uh uh points of discussion tonight, but that last point that you made sort of encapsulates both and you spoke about rivals mo and um what rivals are doing with their money, and some people. And we know this. There are uh, factions, um, as ever. I believe the you know the the truth is somewhere in between. Um, But there are factions, rabidly pro and rabidly anti the uh, ownership. And some people who have kind of tried to defend the levels of expenditure compared and contrasted with other uh, teams or domestic rivals have pointed to the fact that there's been quite a lot of investment in infrastructure and that perhaps this is the reason for less investment on the playing personnel side of things. It can be cold comfort, Mo, but what do you make of that particular uh, factor?
2: I I simply don't accept that as an argument. I mean, yes, we have invested. uh, We invested 56 million on um, the AXA training facility, which is a very fine uh, facility for the club but um, it was funded from a club generated revenue and we have been repaying the mainstone uh, mainstand loan um that was a loan that was procured by FSG it was it was not their money I should clarify um, they, they didn't loan their own funds to the club to then uh, bankroll that expansion of the mainstand they borrowed money uh, with interest, and then they uh, lent that interest-free to the club. Um club have been repaying that. So that was £110 million pounds worth of borrowing, and um, the, the club um, had repaid £39 million of that um, between 2017-18 um, and 2020-21. So that's over that four financial year period um, 39 million that have been paid so when you add the two amounts together it equates to 95 million and I'm I'm talking about the period for which we have published accounts available so for the season that has just finished uh, 21-22 which finished obviously about four months ago the accounts for that won't be published for a few more months yet Um, so we don't know how much further that mainstand loan was uh, repaid how much further it was reduced, um, that 95 million, clearly um, a, a substantial sum. However, um, during the same period, we know that Tottenham Hotspur had spent in excess of a billion pounds and had in excess of 800 million pounds of borrowing um, relate to that stand. And yet, despite that, they were still outspending us in the transfer market in the last couple of years. Um, you look at Manchester United. Um, they um, are a club that are, you know, are mocked even for um, their stadium. You know, it's said that you know it is rusting away and falling apart, and it, you know, rain's falling through the roof and it's wet and all this stuff. And yet, they still, over the same period that I've just talked about, spent sixty-seven million pounds, which is not a massively dissimilar figure to the ninety-five. And yet, Manchester United, when it comes to transfers have significantly outspent us. I mean, just in the summer 22 uh, transfer window that finished a few weeks ago, um, their net spend was in the region of about 200 million. Our net spend was in the region of about five or 10. So, uh, and that, by the way, when you have to put it into wider context, is where for the first time, Liverpool may have exceeded the turnover of Manchester United uh, Manchester United's turnover has already been um, announced and has been published, and that was 583. I estimated Liverpool's turnover would be 580 million or more. Um, some reports have put it as high as 602. Uh, again, that's just speculation. Um, but the point being, turnover pretty much on an even keel now between United and Liverpool, and their wage bill um, almost certainly was higher last season, and their and their um, their debts. Um had grown significantly um due to changes in currency so um uh, sorry, not currency but exchange rates so despite all of that, um we look at some of our rivals um you know united still spent sixty seven million on infrastructure um arsenal Uh, Sorry, not Arsenal, Tottenham, Hotspur, in excess of a billion, Um, and even some of our other uh, rivals around us, and clubs even uh, further down the table, such as Leicester City, spent uh, more on infrastructure. Um, And yet, uh, you know, uh, my argument is being that it had, it was not a case of having to spend on infrastructure or transfers. It was Mm. a case of based on the revenues we were um, bringing in over the last few years we had the ability to spend on both. Um, So I simply don't buy that as an argument um, made by some.
0: So it doesn't need to be an either or is what you're saying. And what I like always about talking to you is that it's not um, just two lads shaking their fists at the clouds and saying things must improve. Something must be done. You, always try to at least offer some solutions. So with that in mind, having said what you've just said, what do you think the club could have done? What could the ownership have done? How could they have approached things differently uh, when it comes to investment? Um, How could they have maybe tweaked it so there was more money spent on incoming footballers and still stick to what we know is a, a stringent financial model that they like to run?
2: yeah so they, they they could have um looked at several um approaches which could have helped the club um Jurgen and Co with um you know ultimately spending more on transfers and and yes i mean transfers are not the be all and end all um but you know the the reason i put that thread out in the first place is my concern and it's a clearly a concern shared by many fans that um you know we as a club have so almost stood still in a way, um, not not completely clearly, but uh, we, we've allowed one or two clubs to perhaps close the gap on us, and we've allowed our squad to reach a certain age profile, and our squad is now uh, I think first or second oldest in in the, in the league, um, and this is something I felt could have been avoided had we taken a different approach. So um, some of the approaches that we could have taken. Um, to ultimately spend more over the last uh, four seasons could have included um using some of the money that uh FSG brought in which was quite a considerable sum from Redbird so as you may recall in 2021 FSG sold a stake of uh, of that group um to uh, Redbird capital um and i think the uh stake was sold for approximately 500 million pounds Now, there was absolutely nothing whatsoever to stop FSG investing some of that into into Liverpool Football Club. And they could have put it into, for example, reducing um, or paying for some of the capital infrastructure work, which then would have freed up money um, to spend on transfer fees. So it wouldn't have been necessary FSG using the Redbird money to bankroll transfers, which they hate to do, and they've never done that. Um, But instead... You know, reducing the commitment on uh, on the infrastructure um, uh, outgoings. Um, They could also have um, looked at refinancing, um, you know, the loans uh, that were taken out, or the loan that was taken out for the main stand, and also um, perhaps um, delivered uh, the AXA training facility through that same route. So the club's 56 million outlay on the AXA training facility or complex was entirely funded from the money that the club had brought in from TVs, you know, for champions league, premier league, uh, from commercial revenue or from match day. None of that came from loans. None of that came from, um, the owners. Um, and that again could have been funded from taking out a loan over a longer period, maybe 10 years. And then instead of paying 56 million off over, um, the space of two seasons, Instead, it could have been spread out over ten years at five, you know, five six million pound a year, which again would have freed up more money to spend on transfers. Um, now, one of the things that again FSG have, have never really done, um, but is is actually quite common in football, is is to take out some short term borrowing um, to to fund transfers. So, um, Tottenham Hotspur, who have who are renowned for being even more stringent than Liverpool Football Club, their owner, uh, Joe Lewis, and, and their ownership group is called Enoch, um, they took out borrowing of, I think it was 120 to 150 million um, this calendar year to help finance um, transfer spend in the summer transfer window uh, just gone. Um, and that's something that, uh, Tottenham Hotspur's ownership group have never done um, but they felt that look you know we've got a manager that cry asses all the time um, if they, if he feels that the owners are not backing him in transfers so we we think we've got a really good manager let's go and back him and um, you know get some fine talent in and and they spent and they spent that money but they took a different approach um, and last but not least um again, what is to say that FSG couldn't have invested some of their own money um, into um, helping finance some of the activities of the club. Now, again, FSG have always been open and said that that's something that they don't believe in. Um, But that is out of kilter with the vast majority of owners of football clubs in in this country across all tiers, even down to, um, you know, semi-professional level. You will have owners of football clubs investing their own money in, into their clubs, and that goes right up to the Premier League, where the majority again of owners do invest their own money into the club. Um, there are a handful of owners that don't, um, most of whom happen to be um, U.S. based. Um, the Glazers, most notably, um, you know, they they don't just not invest their own money; they actually take money out through dividends from Manchester United every year. Um, that was £30 million, pounds, by the way, for twenty one, twenty is something we know that FSG don't do. They don't take out dividends from Liverpool Football Club. But I've just outlined there straight away four or five different things that FSG could have done slightly differently to help finance um, more deals. And when I talk about more deals, I'm not saying that the club should have um bringing in, you know, four, five, six players every summer. And I said that earlier on, that we got to a point by eighteen, nineteen where we didn't really need to do that. We had the base of a really, really top-class squad. Um, but even if we brought in one quality addition each summer, on top of what we were doing already, that would have been, you know, four additional players and we could have managed you know, four out over that same um corresponding period. And, you know, that that is, you know, again, part of the frustration I have. I, I felt that um, you know, had we operated in a slightly different way, especially in light of COVID, um, that model could have been flexed somewhat and I I, I felt there was just really no flexibility shown. And again, that may have been a, a hindrance rather than help in, in terms of where we are now.
0: Can't help but agree that there seems to have been an opportunity or two missed. And as a kind of an interesting uh, point, uh, as a also almost a segue into the second of your uh, factors for our underperformance, we have. I do want to ask you about one more thing. Um, and again, it's something that I think those who seek to uh, champion FSG will lean into a little bit and that would be the the growth in our wage bill now obviously the champions league involvement means there's um a significant uh, growth in that it is acknowledged as the biggest area of expenditure for the club and like i said leaned into by those who would um go around white knighting for fsg as um proof positive, uh, of, of, of why nothing can be done and why nothing should be said. Um, however, uh, <laughs> is the growth of that wage bill a very, very, very big factor, um, when it comes to the availability of funds that are then avail- that are then you know open to Jurgen Klopp for transfer fees what do you make of that argument that's regularly pushed out there that the growth of our wage bill is the if not if not the then a major factor in the absence of fees being available uh, to be paid out for transfers
2: Yeah, I mean, there's certainly an argument there um, to be made. However, um, again, this part of the thread that I put out back in um, late August, uh, I I did benchmark um, something called the wages to turnover ratio. So of the turnover generated by a club, how much of that is spent on the wage bill? And that analysis uh, showed that Liverpool's um, average over four years, so it's not something I did looking at one season in isolation. I looked at it over four years. Um, It showed that the average uh, for Liverpool Football Club was pretty much on par with most of the clubs around it. Um, And, um, I mean, there there is an outlier in um, Tottenham Hotspur. Um, Their wage bill has always... Well, not always, but um certainly, for the last uh, number of years, and especially since our wage bill skyrocketed um from about two hundred and eight million back around twenty seventeen eighteen uh t- sorry twenty sixteen seventeen up to north of three hundred million um after that um, their wage bill tends to be um less than fifty percent of their overall turnover and um Wrigley is about 40% whereas liverpool's um is in the high 50s hovers just under the or around the 60% mark and a lot of our rival clubs are in and around that percentage as well give or take um 2 or 3%. um so again yes it has increased but then so the wage bills of other clubs around us now granted um you know manchester city are a special case and uh you know, the way in which they operate financially is is different to ours and arguably very different to many clubs out there. Um, and Chelsea, um, it's published in their accounts that in the last two or three years under Roman Abramovich's um, ownership, he invested um, a quarter of a billion pounds into that club. Um, you know, we, we our owners, um, have not invested – a penny into Liverpool football club. So again, um uh, sorry that that's not a penny into the club since around 2012. So that again shows the kind of advantage that Chelsea has compared to Liverpool in that, you know, that they had an owner that was able to do something like that. Um uh, and that, you know, uh, is is you know, very very significant. Manchester United historically have generated significant sums, uh, well in excess of hours, um, but we have largely closed that gap. Um, And then Arsenal are a bit of a strange case in that, um, you know, for the last uh, three or four seasons, their turnover has not been to the levels of hours, but um, they also have not got a wage bill that's on our level either. So their wage bill tends to be, a good uh, 100 million or so less than ours, And in fact, that has slightly decreased further still um, as they've moved on a lot of their more established, older, uh, more expensive players and replaced them with um, younger, less expensive players. So their wage bill, um, if anything, uh, has probably come down compared to what it was a couple of years ago even though clearly their their trajectory um is very much upwards um so the wage bill argument is is a reasonable one in the sense that clearly the more you spend on wages the less money is available for transfers but it's not dissimilar to most of our rivals and again when you look at what our rivals have been spending in transfer um fees um you know they they largely do dwarf us um over the period post 2018 um so i, I think wages uh, are an interesting one in the sense that uh, we do know liverpool football club have heavily incentivized um contracts in place for um pretty much the whole squad now and certainly more heavily incentivized than some of our rival clubs. And perhaps there's an argument to be made that if they were less incentivized, um, you know, that that might help um, free up a bit more uh, money to spend on transfers. And there might be some that will argue, well, no, we should, um, you know, pay more on wages um, in order to ensure that we – Are a destination rather than a stepping stone, Um, but you know if if that means that the available funds um, for transfers are are, are relatively meagre compared to other rivals, then again it all weighs in on the, uh, the kind of underlying issue there, which is that ultimately there's not enough recruitment there and then you know you're retaining more players and uh, aging them out as a group and you know you're you're saving up a problem for for future years and we're, we're very sharply getting to that point now
0: well, you've done it now, Mo. You've created yet another conspiracy theory in my mind, which is basically that we're underachieving on purpose so that people don't have to pay those incentives in their contract. <laughs> lads are lads are being deliberately shit uh, because it's all part of some greater scheme. I'm going to lean into that one. It, it's given me it's giving me some hope. You know, you it, it's around about now that we sort of find ourselves moving into the other area that you wanted to talk about, which. Uh, is one of the causes of, of, of why, uh, we've all been so sad when we regard our favorite team of late. And this particular one did create a lot of discussion. Apparently, some, uh, fellow fan media outlets, uh, were putting out some content, uh, directly refuting your argument, which is that Klopp has been overly loyal to certain players. Now, why is it that you think, he is like that? Why is it that this loyalty is a feature that has been so discussed by by so many? Um, And how do you feel it's factored into the specifics of what we're here to talk about, which is why the wheels have come off at the start of this season?
2: Okay. Um, Right, so uh, I'm going to try and be diplomatic with some of the stuff I say here. um, I know that um, I'm in the presence of um uh one of the uh, paid up members of the Jimmy Milner fan club. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> cut loose, man, just cut loose. It's all good. <laughs>
2: so uh right. Look, I, I I I certainly think that the model that we put in place, which I felt worked so well in twenty sixteen to twenty eighteen, um, was all about making sure that Um, you're able to bankroll some of your transfer fee transfer fees um, by generating um, a reasonable amount from sales of players and it's also um, as well as investing making sure that um, some of that is offset by um, selling players on at the right time now again, through some of the research that I was doing as part of the threads that I was putting out over recent weeks, I was looking at the amount of um, money that we were bringing in um, as a club and what I was seeing was, you know, we, we were really underperforming when it comes to sales of players. Yes, I mean, we, we've pulled off one or two blinders over the years, you know, um, $23 million for Rhian Brewster was, um, you know, fantastic you know, absolute masterclass by, um, Mikey Edwards, um, two, two, three years ago. But, you know, the big, big, um, you know, sale that we had over recent years was Felipe Coutinho. And that sale is now coming up to five years. So it's nearly five years since he left us, um, to join Barca. And, you know, since then we've really not had all that much by way of big sales. Um, And, uh, you know, the the biggest probably has been that of uh, Sadio Mane, and that's not even £30 million. And yet when you look again at some of our rivals, um, you know, Manchester City of all clubs, you know, over the last couple of years, uh, brought in some, you know, fantastic fees um, for for players. And, uh, you know, for me, the model works best when we know that a player is just about to hit the kind of closing stretch of their peak um, and still has some value um, uh, in the market. And, you know, we can sell that player for 40 million, 50 million pounds. Um, And and clearly we've not been doing that. And I think part of it is the fact that we've been looking to retain players for too long. Um, And I think linked to that, and this is my second root cause, it's the Klopp loyalty factor. I really think it is a thing you know I mean there were other media outlets that went out and said no uh, you know we we think the guy's talking bollocks I don't think that is the case I think and let me give specific examples um so James Milner um I I think he's um been a fantastic servant for Liverpool Football Club um but I very much lean towards the Dave Hendrick kind of view about Jimmy I I think that um you know his time has been and gone and You know, we we reached that point in my view uh, two or three years ago, yet he's still here. And clearly, you know, there's arguments to be made that he's been retained for more than just what he can do on a football pitch. And, you know, the the kind of squad dynamics um, in terms of what goes on beyond the 90 minutes on a match day uh, are clearly important. And having a character like that around um, can be worth its weight in gold. But I, I still think that, look, that is a position within that 23 man squad that could have been taken up by a younger player, you know, 23, 24 that can give a bit more, um, you know, on the pitch. And I I think that, you know, that that's a clear case of a play being retained longer than they should have been. You know, Manchester city were not exactly putting up a huge fight to retain him. Um, when he was age 29 back in 2015, when he left them on a free to join Liverpool. And and they felt then that, look, you know, we've had Milner's best years and, you know, we don't really mind that he goes um, to a rival club. Um, Jordan Henderson, very contentious subject. And, uh, you know, the contract renewal that went through for him last year, um, which would keep him at the club for four years if you were to see that contract through. Um, created a lot of debate last year. I, From what I'm led to believe, there was you know a split within the club about whether that was the right thing to do. Um, there were arguments, and again, I clearly don't know this for a fact, that uh, Jürgen um, put up a big fight to uh, get the club to uh, agree to this deal and, um, it seems that 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 you know um was successful because clearly he signed this contract extension, and um he was retained and again, my view is that you know this is a player, albeit the captain of the club um that was um certainly at the end of his peak years for Liverpool football club, and that's not to say that he should necessarily have been sold there and then. Um, but certainly in my view, the contract extension should have been put in place. And, um, you know, it might have been that that could have prompted a sale um, this summer um, when he, by that point would have, I think only had a year left on his contract. And um, again, that would have not gone down well with some sections of the fan base who um, absolutely uh, revere the club captain. Um, Now, Sadio Mane, we did sell, but, you know, that was only because the player made clear he wanted a change, he wanted a new challenge uh, summer last year. So that was in the pipeline from then. Had he not expressed that and was happy to stay in, uh, in a paycheck, he would also have been retained. Ginny Wijnaldum left for the same reason. He was another player that Klopp would happily have retained. Um, and again, you can point to, you know, one or two others, even Dejan Lovren, Klopp was happy for, for him to remain. Adam Lallana Clot was happy for him to remain all of these players had they been so inclined to just stay at Liverpool football club because they enjoyed being, you know, in that group, in that dressing room, um, earning well, you know, can you imagine that we would have had a squad where, you know, about 12, 13 players would have been age 30 or more by now. And the only reason that Lovren, Mane, um, Lallana left, Gini Wijnaldum left, is because they fancied a change, not because the manager felt now's the right time, not that the club felt now's the right time to optimize, um, you know, proceeds from sales and move them on. It was because the players wanted to go instead. Uh, And that for me is is not good succession planning. It's not um, the right way to uh, operate as a club, especially given we as a club, are more dependent on generating sales than the Manchester City who um, generate money in other ways. And, you know, as we're seeing increasingly Chelsea, um, Todd Bowley is coming in with a consortium. Bowley himself is not somebody that is a a mega billionaire, um, but it appears that some of his partners have immense wealth behind them, hence why they spent, I think it was, $300 in, in a transfer market in the, in the transfer window just gone, um, so so this all is very concerning. I, I think that I, I have been expressing the concern that you know we were going to let the squad reach a certain age, and we then leave ourselves with um, very little time to replace you know a large and increasing group of thirty-year-old plus players. And the fact that they're 30 years old or more in itself is not an issue. I'm clearly not ageist. I'm well above that age. Um, uh, But the the kind of issue I have is that the playing style that we've had under Klopp is so physically demanding. The training regime that we have is so physically demanding. Players are aging out prematurely almost. Um, they're, They're reaching their peak before they hit 30. So by the time they're getting to the point of being 30 or more, um, you know, we are seeing now that, um, you know, there's very few of these players that are um, still at their peak at the age of 30, 31, 32. And so it makes it for me even more important and there's greater imperative to uh, ensure that there is that healthy churn, that healthy turnover of players. And even though it might be Upsetting for fans to see a player that might still look like they've got, you know, two three years left, leaving, you know, that that is the way to operate properly in light of the model that we have in place. And the only way around it is to get money from elsewhere, such as direct owner investment, or um, or um, finding magical ways to generate commercial income from non-existent betting companies um but you know we we don't operate in that way so if we don't operate in that in that way then then we have to have a better model of um uh, squad rotation by way of players coming in and players going out and and for me that that simply hasn't been in place and I I put a lot of that down to Klopp Klopp's loyalty to players that have served him well and I think he has a real hard time letting players go and he he has this emotional attachment to them and that is in many many ways a strength but I think in in other ways it is also weakness
0: It's funny I wonder is there a little wrinkle here in this particular part of our discussion too in terms of the fact that the club has suddenly over the last years become a destination club as opposed to where we were only five years ago six years ago where you know we were the final stepping stone before you went to Barca or Real. Um, And if that has had a a kind of a knock-on effect with one or two of the people who might have um, made potentially lucrative sales. And of course, the other wrinkle is we may be very dependent on player sales for our transfer strategy, but there's also the idea of moving a player on and then the wages that we're being paid to that guy become available as available funds, theoretically. I know it doesn't necessarily work like that in real life or real time, but these are all sort of little gray areas around that and all they do, those both of those points, all they do is sort of add to what you're saying. And I suppose I wonder then when you compare and contrast us with what other people are doing again, because it's kind of how we we, we assess ourselves in general in all areas of life. and. Do you think that that our transfer strategy and therefore the available funds have been adversely inf- uh, impacted then by, by hanging on to these players as a, as a result of this loyalty um, than we probably sh- should have? And do you think, do you see that elsewhere? When you look around at our rivals, um, do you see that, that trend there as well in terms of failing to move on assets that are not absolutely essential or that are absolutely at their prime for, like you said, maximising their market value, having given some service to the club. Do you see that pattern amongst arrivals as well?
1: Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index.
2: Um in, in some areas yes and others no. Um I mean you know I, clearly our biggest rival, um not historically, but in terms of the current context, has been Manchester City. You know, you know, we've been back and forth toe-to-toe over the last, you know, best part of four or five years now. Now, they had um, a squad that um, was at the top end from an age profile perspective relative to other clubs in the league. Um, but in the last you know four years or so, they've moved on some very big characters in that dressing room. You know, Vincent Company, David Silva, Yaya Toure, uh, Sergio Aguero, um, one or two others. Um, Raheem Sterling, you know, clearly not um, a player that's, um, you know, hitting the age of 30 or more. Um, but a player that the club felt actually we probably got got our best years out of him and we can perhaps maximize um, uh, transfer fees by moving him on now. Um, and, and that's the sort of thing that I don't think Liverpool Football Club would do. Um, and, and that was a quite ruthless move in certain respects. But, you know, they, they felt, look, you know, we, we think we've got uh, the best uh, out of him and let, let's move him on elsewhere. Um so I think that Manchester City clearly their financial um, context is very very different to ours, and you know I've I've gone into detail on Twitter and on on Money Talks in the past about uh, how dubious I think that whole setup is. But what they have been able to do is increasingly um, generate more sales. Um, Uh, sort of proceeds from player sales in the last couple of years. And they actually turned a profit in the transfer window just gone, um, which their fans have been very happy to gloat about. Um, Now, what they've managed to do is, is achieve a a very good, almost optimal um, profile in terms of their squad. They've got a very good mix of younger players, you know, Harland uh, most notably um, as well as at the other end of the spectrum, with, with some of the more established players, but they, in my view, and I would argue they haven't got an excess of players that are kind of at the higher end of the age profile. Um, so, so their balance seems almost spot on, I and mean, it's really good, and they've done a very good job over the last, uh, you know, three years or so in in, in achieving that. Um, albeit, you know, their, their financial means is touched on earlier. Uh, uh, are different to ours. Um, Chelsea, um, you know, their context is very different, but, you know, they've brought in, um, you know, a a raft of younger players. Also, um, in the summer transfer window just gone, several um, older players. Um, So they've got a bit of a disjointed approach, but I think that will settle down. And it is known that, you know, it's no secret that they are very strongly um uh, interested in uh, young mikey edwards and if he were to join uh, chelsea um you know later on down the line uh, that that could pose a serious threat to liverpool football club we also know that um they brought in um somebody that's been quite keen in the recruitment at um, i think it's rb leipzig um so again um you know they're, they're certainly looking at all the right places um in terms of Um, you know, identifying the top people to bring in the cream of the crop in terms of young talent. And um, I I think that will be their strategy going forward. So, you know, they're they're, um, also, you know, getting things right. I think the only club I can, you know, really point to and say, perhaps they're also guilty of what Liverpool Football Club are guilty of in terms of letting a squad um, age out together. Um, perhaps would be Tottenham Hotspur. Um, So their age profile as a squad is not too dissimilar to ours. And um, the the thing with them, though, is that their wage bill is significantly below that of ours. And yes, they've got this massive um, debt relating to the new stadium. Um, But as I touched on earlier, that is something that that will be paid off over a prolonged period. And then it allows them... um, more funds to be able to invest in in transfers, so you know it, it is um, it is something that also um, as as a club Tottenham have a manager that is renowned for being quite ruthless. He's he's not somebody that um, gets overly attached emotionally to players, uh, and um, you know that, that's the sort of thing that um, it can be good in certain respects, but also a bit of a drawback in others. Uh, but I, th- I think other clubs around us are very cognizant of the fact that you, you cannot, especially the way the football is played nowadays, have a group that's, um, you know, full of 30-year-old plus players. And, you know, we're going to end this season with, I think, as things stand, um, at least 10 players who will be 30 or more. And, you know, that that's not great, especially when, you know, several of those players' contracts are ending, um, you know, this summer, and are we financially going to be able to afford to bring in you know five or six players um all in one fell swoop um uh, possibly not in which case we may end up extending the contract of a jimmy milner for yet another year um into the 23 24 season um and, and obviously that that will trigger off fume to unprecedented levels on uh, social media and elsewhere but you know that that's that is entirely possible and plausible um on the basis that you know if you've got a lot of work to do in terms of um enhancing the squad we may not be able to address every gap and and we may end up retaining even for one year one or two players that we might have been expecting to go next summer
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Even the theoretical fume is amusing to think about, uh, Mo, on that particular last point. And we're going to narrow our focus as we come to the end of the show on on our ownership group, on FSG. And I'll finish with the big controversial question of, you know, where do you stand in terms of um, the extremes of opinion on them? But let's just ease our way into that by talking a little bit about how you perceive their strategy for running the club. I mean as we look around us we've got rivals who are as you've outlined in this show already f- splashing more cash than ever before um how effective can it possibly be in your opinion <laughs> it, it how can it possibly even be an option for us to deliver more success for the club uh, in the current way that we're operating i mean is it possible that I think I know the answer to this before I ask, but is it possible that we could, ha- we could have a, 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 an FSG bulb going off over their head moment where we see a change in philosophy that might result in them deciding to open up the purse strings and let the cash flow? How how realistic is that? Because I do worry that some people are still holding on to that possibility as, as being um, out there.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one, Trev. Um, You know, the the landscape financially, um, as we uh, are in this ostensibly post COVID era, um, continues to change. Financial fair play, as was, um, is being phased out and it's being replaced by a a new version, uh, which is based on. Um, several factors, one of which is that 70%, sorry, um, no more than 70% of your wages, um, uh, of your turnover, I should say, should be spent on wages. And mm. Liverpool Football Club are, are under that. Um, but sorry, it's not just wages, it's also what's called amortization, which is the accounting treatment for um, spend on transfers. And when you factor those two in, wages plus amortization, uh, Liverpool Football Club at the moment would be over 70%. Um, though if we spend very little on transfers, then we would fall within that. Um, so, so that's interesting in terms of how we'll achieve that when, when that is fully implemented. But, um, you know, that aside, um, there, there are now... It is ultimately easier when we move to that model um, of financial governance uh, for for certain types of clubs um, to be even more cavalier in terms of um, bringing in revenue from uh, interesting sources Mm. to to present um, club revenues that are higher than they would otherwise be. Um, And apologies to listeners if you think I'm talking riddles. I'm I'm trying to be careful um, (laughs) from a legal perspective. Um, But, yeah, the the concern is, look, um, the changes that are being implemented by UEFA um, with the old FFP going out, the new model coming in, will make it easier for certain types of clubs um, around us um, to spend even more and we already see that with Manchester City. We're now seeing it with Newcastle United. You know, they spent um, in the last calendar year more money than we've spent in the last four years. Um, and that's Newcastle United. And and they're already um, in European places. You know, their, their squad is already starting to look good. And another couple of years of investment, and I... I fear that their squad will look very, very strong. Um, then we see Chelsea, um, you know, they have this consortium, which seems to have um, significant amounts of money. Now it's interesting because their owner, uh, the, the front man, Boley um, talked very much around running Chelsea in the way that we, or FSG run Liverpool. Um, but, if the evidence of the last transfer window is anything to go by, um, then he's doing the complete opposite. Um, So, you know, all of these things are a concern. And if we rigidly stick to this model of self sustainability, uh, that the owners put no money into the club whatsoever, then I, I, I do fear that sustained success is, is definitely not possible and successful stop will become increasingly harder to achieve. Because, you know, if if Manchester City, if in the couple of years Newcastle United, Manchester United, if these clubs, um, even an Arsenal, you know, in the next year or two, are able to um, spend in a way that's different to us, um, then it, it doesn't bode well. It doesn't. And, you know, is it possible for FSG to change the way that they do business where football is concerned it is I think it's highly unlikely though um, now that's not to say it's not possible um, you know Arsenal are a club that FSG Tom uh, you know John W Henry in particular um, really looked at as the beacon the, the kind of model that they wanted uh, uh, to kind of copy and, and follow when they first came into Liverpool Football Club 12 years ago and um, you know the Conkey family, um, who um, FSG know well, um, have changed their model. You know, that they've freed up the purse strings, and that's why Arsenal have been able to spend, um, outspend Liverpool, despite generating significantly less turnover over the last several years. So they changed their model. As I touched upon earlier, um, the, the Tottenham Hotspur owner, you know, very, very carefully, uh, um, string, very, very careful, stringent financial model that has been um, discarded to an extent as well. And they've gone in a slightly different way. So we're the only club now at the top of the Premier League uh, that's still sticking to a certain way of doing business. Um, you know, the Glazers, we know that they take money out of Manchester United, and yet they they are um, always willing to sanction um, you know, significant amount of spend, and they are uh, a bit more uh, cavalier. To use that word again in how they um, finance uh, deals um, in the transfer market. So, you know, we're the only club that that is operating in a in a in a way that uh, was pretty much the way we operated five, six, seven years ago under under FSG. All the other clubs have evolved and moved since then, and. That is my concern that, you know, if we stick to that way of doing business, um, it, it really could hamper our efforts to maintain the success that we've seen under Klopp over the last four years. And uh yeah, it it is something that I think all Liverpool fans should be concerned about um if if um you know they they want us to continue to achieve what we've seen Klopp and Co achieve since twenty eighteen.
0: Now we'll finish by asking you to pull the pin on that particular thorny issue about um, your opinion on the current ownership group, but we are in a world where nothing is set in stone and only this week, earlier in the week, we saw Brit businessman, uh, Jim Ratcliffe, um, talking about how he would like to buy a premium or was a premier club. Um, And he had been frustrated in his efforts to try and get uh, Manchester United from the Glazers. Now, you suggested when this news broke that perhaps Liverpool would be a club that he might look at as a potential target right in that category that he outlined himself. And you noted that FSG have been seemingly open to selling for a while. Now, how likely do you think it is that the ownership group may cease being um, the focus of so many fa- fans Ira, because they may well look to cash in on the brand that they've grown over the last few years in the near future
2: yeah it was interesting that he made those comments um, we do know that he put in a very late bid in for Chelsea um, and that's when that bidding round was occurring back in, in the spring um, which obviously Bowley and his consortium eventually won. And um, he missed out on Chelsea. Um it's known that he's a United fan and um he had conversations with um the Glazers and they've said no we're not looking to sell. And why would they? You know, they know they've got an asset that pays in, you know, thirty, you know, twenty, thirty million pounds a year. And um, you know, that asset will probably appreciate in value over the next five to 10 years. Uh, and, um, you know, they're, they're not in any rush to clearly sell that club. Meanwhile, um, Ratcliffe, who is also the owner of, um, one of the French clubs, Nice, um, is looking to buy a premier league club. And he specifically used the word, I think it was either premium or premier. And of the available clubs, we are then left with a short list, I think of two Tottenham Hotspur in Liverpool now RFSG um are selling um their official stance is they're open to selling a minority stake in the club privately it's known that for the right deal um they would sell the club outright are they actively looking to sell um no no they're not um if they were then i think it probably would have come out by now but when um big offers have been made they have been open to considering them so on this very podcast i think it was about four years ago now adam crafton then of the of the mail um now the athletic um wrote an article in the um, mail um, um a very detailed one explaining that um, there was some middle eastern group that the Expressed an interest in buying Liverpool, and um, Adam had seen emails and other evidence showing that FSG were seriously considering it. But then it turned out that it didn't really have any any kind of uh, substance to it, and, and so that that interest then um, ended very quickly. But that was something that the you know the evidence that was seen by Adam um, suggested that you know FSG for the right offer uh, would seriously consider selling outright. Um, and I don't think that that has changed. And when I put some tweet out this week, um, that was uh, followed up by Tony Evans, a well-known writer, um, saying that, yeah, FFG would, would sell up for the right deal. And that's been uh, the case for years. So I think for them to sell, given that Liverpool Football Club have appreciated in value significantly over the last few years, um, it would probably be enough for uh, at least four billion pounds, likely five billion or more, uh, that would tempt him to sell. They know, though, that if they were to hold on to the club for another ten years, um, you know, the value of the club could be by that point eight, nine, ten billion pounds. So, you know, they're not in any rush to sell. Um, but if if Ratcliffe or even somebody else is uh, really, really keen on Liverpool, um, then if if the, the offer is right. Then I think FSG would sell, but um, at this stage it, it feels unlikely that they'll sell. Um, but these things can move very quickly. Um, so if, if a, an offer comes in, not necessarily from Ratcliffe, but from elsewhere, um, and they, they think that's attractive, then I think they'll cash in. Bear in mind they bought the club for three hundred million pounds. So you know, even if it was even only, only he says, $3 billion. you know, that's a tenfold uh, return on investment in the space of 12 years, which, which is certainly not to be sniffed at, and they would be delighted at that. And what is also known, by the way, Trev, is that they are at the moment um, trying to secure uh, finance. You know, they're, they're looking to potentially purchase an NBA franchise, and they're also looking to carry out some significant works to Fenway Park in Boston um and you know one of the means by which they may be able to generate that money is possibly by selling Liverpool Football Club they have two um marquee assets in their portfolio the Boston Red Sox and Liverpool and of the two um the one by far um that they're more likely to hold on to is Boston Red Sox given that they they've got an attachment to that um historic baseball club And, you know, that they are, um, you know, from that part of the world as well. So their ties are very much to the Red Sox, uh, to a far greater extent they are to Liverpool Football Club.
0: Yeah, I'm listening to you there and I'm thinking about the bigger picture and thinking about quantitative easing. And I'm thinking about the amount, the rate at which, you know, dollars and currency in general is being printed and. (laughs) they may turn into fun coupons before we know it Mo and you know the relative value of everything is going to change an asset however remains an asset so I don't know unless like you said there's a tactical move ahead where um, they see uh, something of benefit in selling us so they can acquire something else but acquire they will I have no doubt about that let me finish um, a, a very interesting uh, chat by asking you what your gut feeling is, then in the end, really. I mean, it's been a bad run of form. The end of last season led to several questions. The period at the beginning of the previous campaign, when we didn't know any defenders, led to the same kind of questions. We've heard the questions a million times. Some of the portions of our fan base are exclusively uh, directing their ire at FSG and what they deem to be their inadequate uh, performance. Do you have any sympathy with what has become known as the FSG out brigade? Um, Can you see anything that's valid in their arguments? And if so, why? (laughs) Oh,
2: goodness. Um, Right, so... In a, in a nutshell, I have some sympathy. Um, I think that, and I'll explain why. I think that some of the arguments made by certain sections of the FSG upgrade are completely ludicrous um, and have no, um, nothing, no substance, no evidence, nothing to substantiate um, um, so, some of the more far-out kind of views and conspiracy theories. There are more measured people within that um, part of the fan base uh, who will point to underinvestment and I've talked about that and I absolutely am of the view that as a club we have underinvested. Now, on the the podcast, um, my last Money Talks with with, uh, producer Guy, I did talk about um, the lack of investment uh, or lack of spend rather in in the summer 22 window and... Mm -hmm. You know, I actually suggested it wasn't FSG; it was in fact Klopp, and that is a, a you know a view that is um, that has been going around. That you know, FSG made funds available, and when Klopp missed out too many, he he wanted only one other player who, who was unattainable in in Jude Bellingham, and was not willing to consider other options, other alternatives. Um, there are one or two others that, that have. Uh, contradicted that view and said actually, um, Klopp was open to other players. Uh, Nunes, uh, who went to uh, Wolves, being one of them, and um, FSG um, didn't ultimately sanction the deal. Um, they, they tried to play hardball, and um, the player got fed up and went to Wolves. And again, that that may have substance; it may not. But um, ultimately. I and obviously many Liverpool fans want this club to maintain success. and It doesn't necessarily mean winning the Premier League season on season. That That is uh, not realistic. But I at the very least want this club to be challenging uh, most years. And, you know, we're only a few weeks into a season where, you know, yes, things have started off pretty poorly. Um, but there's still more than enough games for it to be turned around. And clearly the chance of winning the Premier League this season is slight, if not um, highly unlikely. However, there's still plenty to play for. And, you know, we, we have still a squad with lots of top, top class talent and you know, we, we could still end it on a high. So I'm, I'm certainly not dismissing this season. But, you know, in terms of the, the owners and whether there is any substance to the FSG out shouts um, that are put out on social media and elsewhere. I think there is absolutely substance to some of what they say. Um, I think overall though, um, the ownership have done a lot of good things as well. And we need to be very balanced in um, our views on them. But do I think that we can move forward under this model that they have in place in a way that will keep us competitive in the years to come. I'm skeptical, being honest, Trev. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, the landscape is changing. And if we don't change with it, then my fear is we'll be left behind. And instead of vying for the title like we have for the last four years, instead we'll become a club that will be scrapping to scrape fourth place um, to get into Europe. And, um, you know, if, if that's the case then, you know, realistically we'll only be vying for domestic competitions. And as you know, Trev, most of our fans, you know, would rather us not even compete and, and just put out the under fifteens for the Carabao and maybe the under eighteens for the FA Cup. Um and uh you know that that that's certainly not where I want to see our club. I, I want us to be com- competing and challenging consistently year, year on year as do you know most fans but um, given the scale of club that we now are um, given our heritage given all these other things you know we we should expect us to be challenging we should be at, at that top level and you know my view is that the owners need to flex accordingly and FSG do better is my ultimate shout with all of this FSG need to adapt need to change and if they want to originally stick to something um, that was put in place when they felt FFP would be a thing, would be something that would actually be implemented and doesn't move with the times, then that that is not great. And uh, that that is a concern that I think most fans should have. Alongside that, though, and my final point, Trev, is that the the, the shout that is made is, look, if FSG... Aren't the answer, then who is? What is? And I don't have the, you know, there are, you know, several thousand billionaires out there. I don't know uh, who they all are. I mean, it's more than just states um, that are billionaires. There's many, many um, individuals, um, families who, have immense wealth. And again, I'm not advocating for FSG to sell up to any of them. I, I've not done research into any of these people, but the arguments that made is look, we'd rather have FSG for all their faults than, um, you know, people who've got an appalling track record when it comes to human rights or, you know, some of these wider political issues. Um, and again, that, that's almost a podcast in itself. Um, mm. but you know, I, I, I think that yes, um, are they are there faults to be uh, found in in the way that FSG operate? Yes, but ha- have we come a long way under them? Absolutely. Um, so it all needs to be balanced and measured in terms of assessing assessing them. And I think just off of a few bad weeks, um, you know, we we shouldn't be calling for them to go necessarily. Um, and certainly, there were very few shouts for him to uh, to leave the club. Um when we were racking up ninety two points at the back end of last season and taking the whole season right until its very final stages um in the champions League Premier League, and obviously winning two domestic cups so yeah my my ultimate my ultimate view on this is i'm happy for them to stay, but I just want them to change.
0: Look at you being all rational and reasonable and nuanced and logical and multifaceted in how you approach things. Don't you understand, my friend, that we're supposed to be screaming at each other like a pair of toddlers and threatening to um, uh, do all sorts of, of violence upon each other when we bring this topic up? That's how this is supposed to run. It's not supposed to be a logical, rational adult conversation. I am very glad, however, that it was. Uh, and... It's genuinely always uh, a a joy to chat through topics with you and consider the options as you lay them out. Um, That last one really left me thinking, you know, you talk about all the billionaires that are out there uh, through the recent recent awfulness as we had that upward transfer of wealth in the world. There's a stat out there that there's, it was every 34, 36 hours a new billionaire was created over that period. So you're right. There are options out there, and it will be interesting to see if any of them um, come our way in the next while. But, Mo, it's been a pleasure, as always. Uh, I think it's fair enough to say that we covered all the bases. So for another great show, I just want to say thanks very much.
2: No, thank you. Thanks for joining me. Um, as ever, you've been a magnificent host, and uh, yeah, it's been lovely to discuss these topics with you, Trey.
0: That was Money Talks with Mo Chatra. I've been Trev Downey. We'll talk to you soon.
1: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community